Truly, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And it's helpful to be reminded at this Christmas season that there are people gathered together, some in formal churches like this, others under trees, or huddled in very remote areas that are giving praise and honor and glory to God the Father for sending His Son. It's much to be thankful for and to give His praise. There are a lot of differences in life. Some of them don't matter very much. One such inconsequential difference is that oftentimes I'll go into a restaurant and uh, as a beverage I'll order a Diet Coke. And they'll say to me, we don't have Coke products. Is a Pepsi all right? Well, for me, that doesn't matter much. Now, maybe you're a purist and uh, you won't substitute a Coke in Pepsi. But for me, it doesn't matter. Okay? Sure. Give me the Diet Pepsi. But if they say to me, we're out of diet, would a regular do? Now, that's more important. For a diabetic, a Diet Coke has zero sugar. Coke products have 28 grams of sugar in them. So, I'll say, no thanks. That difference matters to me. Some differences don't matter. Some differences do matter. Some differences are small. Some differences are great. And some differences even make the difference between life and death. In Romans chapter 6, I invite you to turn with me to that particular passage of Scripture this morning. I'm going to speak on but just one single verse of Scripture. I'm not going to expound uh, the uh, precipice that is there, but just one verse emphasizing the differences that are enumerated in Romans 6.23. you have your Bibles, it says in Romans 6.23, New American Standard, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Three differences. First, the difference between a gift and wages. Secondly, the difference between life and death. And the third difference, being in Christ or not being in Christ. So we emphasize those differences from Romans 6.23. First, there are differences between wages and a gift. Notice Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages are earned. They are payment for work that is performed. A gift is not earned. We find in this particular text that death is earned. It is the payment, if you will, for sin. Earned through our own individual or personal sin, as well as the sin of Adam. So we find in this particular text that death is deserved. We don't often think of it that way, but it is the consequence or outcome of what we do or fail to do. That death actually is deserved. 
by us. We don't like to think of that. Many times we don't want to uh, be willing to take responsibility for that. But it is our sin that brings about death in general. Now, I don't mean by that that your personal sin is going to be the reason for your immediate death. In other words, we've been talking this morning about Pastor Bennett. Uh, we are not to assume that if he is in the Lord's presence, that that is a result of any particular sin he committed last week. That it isn't something that uh, he had done which is causing that to take place. But rather, we are to understand that uh, death is the consequence of sin in general. Okay, that we are going to die one day as a result of our having sinned. Eternal life is a gift. It is not earned. It is, God's, it is not God's payment or reward for our doing good. I want you to note what the text does not say. Look at Romans 6.23. It does not say, the wages of sin is death, and the wages of righteousness is eternal life. That's not what it says. It doesn't say the wages of sin is death. And the wages of righteousness is eternal life. But rather there is a word of contrast there. It's the word but in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life of Jesus Christ our Lord. Not the simple conjunction and, which would be a continuation of the same thought, but rather a conversive uh, conjunction in which it's emphasizing a contrast. Wages and gift. The scripture is abundantly clear that a person does not merit salvation based on their good deeds. They're having done what is right, what is acceptable, what is approved by God. It is impossible. Let me say that again. It is impossible for anyone to earn the right to heaven. Listen to Romans 4 through 6. 4, 4 through 6. Now to the one who works... His wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. The person who works, the person who tries to obey all the commands of God, it says that person, it's reckoned not for uh, a favor, but rather it is what is due. There is nothing meritorious about doing good. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we are obligated to do. That's what we must do. We must do good. But the problem is, there is not a single person on the face of this earth, other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who 100% all the time does what is good. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care if you do good 99% of the time. There is sin in each of our lives. If we're going to be honest, 
There are times that we have lied. There have been times in which we have been less than, than gentle with, with other people. There are times in which we've coveted what other people have. There are times that we have lost our temper. All of these things, all of these things are unacceptable in the sight of God. You cannot earn your salvation. As a result, we have no reason to boast of our being saved as opposed to someone else. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If we are saved by doing good, if we have a right relationship with God, if we have eternal life based on our personal merit, then we'd have a reason to go around strutting our stuff. We could put out our chest and say, you know, I'm better than this person over here because look at me. I have earned eternal life. I have merited. I have been rewarded by the good that I do. The scripture says you have no basis to boast. Romans 3.27 when there, Where there is boasting, it is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Again, saying the very same thing. No reason to boast because we are declared righteous not on the basis of our good deeds. All too many people think that they are going to go to heaven based on their good deeds. And they are sadly mistaken. Romans 9 says... But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over that stumbling stone. They stumbled over that stumbling stone. The stumbling stone was the desire to earn their salvation by doing what was right. The scripture makes it clear that... The Ten Commandments were never given to us as a way of meriting eternal life. They were never given so that by obeying them, you could go to heaven. The Ten Commandments were given to show us our need of forgiveness. The Ten Commandments were given to us to reveal to us that we weren't as good as we thought we were. They were to show and identify sin in our lives that were intended to cause us to see a need of forgiveness as opposed to present merit to God. It was to reveal to us our sinfulness. Therefore, no one is saved or has eternal life as a result of their good deeds. Galatians 2.16 Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Don't know how many verses you have to read. It's repeated and repeated and repeated. You are not saved by your works, by your good deeds, by your personal righteous living. 
Nobody's going to make it to heaven that way. If it were possible, there would have been no reason for Jesus Christ to come. There would have been no reason for God to send His Son. That is superfluous. That's a waste. And not only is it a waste, but it is incredibly uh, austere on the part of God to think that He would send His Son to die needlessly. That all He had to say to people is, you people who are good, you're going to go to heaven. You people who are bad, you're not going to go to heaven. There was no reason for Jesus to die. Secondly, not only is eternal life not earned, it is a gift. Look at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This word free that's in the NAS appears only in the NAS. It doesn't in the King James or the NIV. They simply say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the word free is in the, in, is in the original. It's a part of the Greek. And the idea here is that God is not obligated in any sense of the word to save anyone. There is no compulsion on God's part. There is no demand that we can give. There is no justification that we can offer. There is no way that we can look at God and say, God, you owe it to me to save me. He is not obligated in any sense of the word. He is not under moral compulsion to save us or give us eternal life. In this instance, there is no claim for the gift whatsoever. We live in a day and age of entitlement. And that means that people think that they are entitled. People think that they deserve gifts. They deserve a handout. They deserve help. That they don't need to do anything to receive it, but it's still deserved. For example, one of the ways in which that's seen at Christmas season is sometimes parents think that they owe it to their children to give them gifts. They feel a moral necessity. They, they feel a compulsion. Not that the child has done any labor. Not that the child has done anything to deserve it, but simply because they're the child. This is my child, therefore I need to give them gifts. Conversely, children can think that they are entitled they can just simply expect it. This is mine, and I deserve it because you're my parents. So you owe it to me, even though I didn't do anything to earn it. Nevertheless, it's still owed. Well, the scripture makes it clear that even in that sense, God does not owe it to us. To save us. It's not an entitlement that belongs to us. The Jewish people uh, thought that they were entitled to a right relationship with God simply because they were physical descendants of Abraham. Many of them put their faith and trust in the fact that they could trace their lineage to Abraham and because Abraham was this chosen person of God, this vessel to be used and to be honored by God, that they then benefited from that. 
and that they had a right relationship with God. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from those stones to raise up children to Abraham. God does not owe it to us to save us. Not a single person. Not a single person. There isn't a person on the face of this earth, presently, in time past, or in time future, that can say, God owes it to me, to save me. Or even that God owes it to anyone to save them. It is a free gift, meaning no compulsion on the part of God. Nothing that motivated him to do this other than simply his love for us. Death earned. We don't like to think about that. Death earned eternal life. Gifted. And we don't want to think about that. In fact, many times we, we put these things on their head and think that we don't deserve to die and we deserve to live. But the scripture teaches us just the opposite. Secondly, there's the contrast between life and death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, wages, gift, death, life. So, what is meant in the Bible when it talks about death? Probably no more important question than that. What, what does death mean? Death is not annihilation. Death is not passing out of existence. Death in the Word of God is always, and let me say that again, is always, without exception, every single time that the word death appears in the Word of God, the primary meaning of it is separation. Separation. The word death is used in three different ways in the Word of God. The first is physical death. And in physical death, there is not annihilation of the spirit or soul. But rather it continues on. What there is is there is a separation. That when you die, there is a separation between your body and your soul. Your body goes to be in the ground. And your soul, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, goes to be with Him. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. So here he talks about this time in which the body is placed in the grave and the soul goes to be with God. That's physical death. Separation of body and soul. Then the Bible talks about spiritual death. Spiritual death. Which is the separation of man from God. Genesis 2.17. For example, when God told Adam, you may eat of every tree of the garden, except one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that thou eatest thereof, you will surely 
the day you eat of that tree, you are going to die. So we all know the story. So Eve ate of that fruit of the tree and she gave it to Adam and Adam ate of the fruit of the tree and immediately he fell over dead. Right? No. No. Adam continues on. They have more children. He didn't die physically at that moment. He's going to die eventually physically. But at that moment that he ate, he died, but he died spiritually. There was separation that resulted between him and God. He was estranged from God. He hid himself from God. He did not know God in the way that he could have known God. So spiritual life is separation from God. And then there is eternal death, although the scripture doesn't use that terminology. It uses the terminology second death. Second death. So there, that is a death in which you are permanently, everlastingly separated from God for all eternity future in a state of punishment. You see, you can be spiritually dead, but you can be made spiritually alive. You can have a right relationship with God. You can be what the scripture refers to as born again, as having this new life in Jesus Christ. But, you see, there is a second death. That is a time in which the bodies of non-believers are resurrected. They are reunited body and soul. And they are cast forever uh, in a lake of fire estranged from God. Revelation 20, 13, and 14. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades threw them into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has life, eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So when the Bible talks about life, it doesn't mean existence. It's talking about a quality of existence. A quality of existence. And death doesn't mean the end of existence. It's talking about the lack of quality of existence. Life is good existence. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. It's a blessed existence. Death is a horrific existence, especially this second death, because it means an eternal separation from God in a state of wrath. So this is a pretty incredible and marvelous gift that is received, this gift of eternal life. And then there are differences in relationship to Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus our Lord. That phrase, in Christ Jesus, appears 86 times in the Pauline epistles. 86 times it talks about being in Christ. And that simply means being in relationship to Jesus Christ. Being united to Jesus Christ. Benefiting from all that Jesus Christ did. Next week, we're going to talk about the gift of righteousness. We don't have personal righteousness. It's given to us.
through Jesus Christ. He not only paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross, but he also lived a perfect and holy life. He was without sin. And his righteousness is counted to us. I'll say a lot more about that next week. But the thought here is that in union with Christ, you can have eternal life. Jesus Christ died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He's coming again. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and we do not know the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. In union with Christ. How do you have this union with Christ? The scripture makes it clear. It's by faith. It's by faith. John 3.36 He who believes in the Son has eternal life. To believe in Jesus Christ is to receive Him. Welcome Him into our lives. It is to trust in Him. The gospel message is that God the Father sent His Son, the very second person of the Trinity, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God sent His Son into this world to live a sinless life, to merit what we can't merit, to provide a goodness that we can't provide, He came to do the will of God. And he did it. And he died. Because the wages of sin is death. Not because of any sin that he committed. For the scripture says that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Lived the kind of lives that we live, and yet resisted sin every single time. Perfectly lived. A righteous and holy life. But he still died. Why? Not for what he had done, but for what we had done. He died in our place. Our sin was placed on him so that his righteousness could be placed on us. To believe in Jesus Christ is, first of all, to acknowledge I'm a sinner. I'm not going to make it to heaven on my good deeds. I need forgiveness. Secondly, it's to recognize that forgiveness comes in only one way. Through Jesus Christ. Through his death. Through his resurrection. So we need to come to Jesus Christ to experience the forgiveness of sins. And to enjoy peace with God. We need to trust in Him. Our morning application is extremely simple this morning. And that is this. What are you trusting in in order to go to heaven? Why do you think when you die that you have any hope of being in the presence of God? Why?
from this text, there are three things that you can trust in. First, you can trust in your goodness. And you can say, you know, I think at the end of the life, God's going to weigh in his balances my good and my bad. And, and I think I'm going to make it. Well, I'm here to say, no one's going to make it on that basis. No one. James says, if you have offended at one point, you've broken the whole law. Think of the law of God, if you would, as a chain. Think of, think of, think of the Ten Commandments as a chain. Ten links that are suspending people between heaven and hell. Let me ask you, how many links of that chain have to be broken before you fall? Ten? Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. One link in that chain. And you're gone. Well, the scripture says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we have offended at one point, we're guilty. Period. What Christ did was live sinlessly. And we have not. But there's good news. There's good news. Secondly, we can trust in the love and mercy and goodness of God. We can have a view of God that says, you know, God's not going to send anybody to hell. He's too loving. He's too kind. He's too merciful. God wouldn't do something like that. It's outside of his character. And so we can trust in the love and mercy and goodness of God. But again, then why send his son? Again, why did Jesus die? If just willy-nilly, God spares everyone. So you can trust in your own goodness. Or you can trust in the love and mercy and kindness of God. Or you can trust in Jesus Christ. The one who came to give eternal life is a gift. Not earned. Not merited. Not deserved. And not obligated. But freely offered. This morning you can have eternal life. By believing, trusting in Jesus Christ and his death, his resurrection for you. And it's the only hope that you have. It's the only hope I have of eternal life. That's the gospel. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what we celebrate. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He came to save us from sin and death. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. As I do, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Simply to raise your hand if you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and say, yes, that's what I want. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to enjoy this relationship with God. I've come to realize I can never have it based on my own goodness, 
or just the general love and mercy of God, it comes in relationship to Jesus Christ. I want Him to be my Savior. If that's your desire this morning, I'm going to give you that opportunity to respond by raising your hand as we pray. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus. We thank You for the gift of eternal life, that which is not earned or merited, but that which is freely given through Him. We stand amazed to think of Jesus dying on the cross, in no sense obligated to do so. Doesn't owe it to us. Lord, we are deserving of death. We are deserving of your non-acceptance. And yet, through Jesus Christ, we do have acceptance. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today would be that day. The day that they respond and say, they're not trusting in our goodness, they're not trusting in the love and mercy of God, they're trusting in Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. If that is your testimony this morning, if that's what you desire, if that's what you want, you've never received Christ, but today you want to, would you quickly just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything. I just want to be able to pray for you privately. Anyone at all. Quickly, if you just raise your hand and acknowledge. Yes, anybody else? Anyone else? You want to receive Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the love with which you loved us. And we marvel at the fact that you would give your son. We marvel at the fact that Jesus would die in our place. Lord, I, I, I would ask that you would help us not, to any sense, think of ourselves as deserving of righteousness, of eternal life. And Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you for speaking to the hearts of, your, of people today. And uh, Lord, if others are being drawn by your spirit, I pray that they would place their faith and trust in you this day. Thank you for all who know you and the blessings that we enjoy. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.